everybody, this is Rob from National Fire Radio. Very excited tonight. We have a special guest, a good friend of mine, Jeff Dill, is on our podcast. And we also have Pip here from the Size Up doing a little crossover because uh, a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about can cross over onto his platform as well. So, Jeff, uh, thank you for joining us tonight. I'm, like I said, super excited that you're here. Well, it's, it's my honor. I, I absolutely appreciate the invitation, and I'm hoping just to bring a little more education awareness to our brothers and sisters on this thing we call behavioral health. So Jeff, you're, you're with the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance, and you're also a retired firefighter. You retired as a captain, right? Is that Correct. Correct. Okay. So like, just to give the base for the, our viewers out there, where did you get your start in the fire service? Sure. I actually started as a volunteer firefighter for Rutland Dundee back in 1989. I was, uh, had just built my house and my neighbor came over and introduced and said, hey, we're looking for some volunteer firefighters. I was a truck driver at the time. I really didn't have any ideas or clues what I wanted as my career. And, and so I said, sure, I'll be a volunteer. And they put me through EMT and paramedic class, officer class. I became a lieutenant and and then in 1995, Palatine Rural Fire Department was founded in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And I was 33 at the time. I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. And I was uh, fortunate to be uh, one of the founding members of this department. After the first year, I became a lieutenant. A couple of years later, I moved up to captain slash battalion chief. Uh, then in 2012, I was actually promoted to assistant chief. Uh, that lasted one year because uh, a lot of family reasons. My family, my wife had moved down to Arizona to be with my daughters and our granddaughter at the time. And uh, I was couldn't travel as much because when they made me assistant chief, they put me on days. And I lost my ability to travel and, and do workshops, see my family. So we lost a, a firefighter to a shoulder injury and left an opening on engine 36. And I said to my chief, do you mind if I go back? And and become, uh, you know, back on shift and, and back to my originally tested position, which was captain. And that's what I did. And I retired in 2015 and moved to Arizona at that time. Jeff, I think that's awesome, especially because I don't, like most, I don't want to say most, a lot of people get themselves driven on promotion that they'll sacrifice family over the position. And I, I think it's very admirable that, admirable that you, stepped back and, and went back to the line because you knew it was going to be the right choice for your family over the career. And I think that's so important, especially in today's day and age. Well, like I said, uh, my chief would always supported uh, FBHA. I mean, I founded FBHA in 2010 and it all actually came around in, in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina hit and division one outside of Chicago sent down numerous firefighters, including a couple from our department and when they came back, I spoke to them and they were, they were devastated by the things that they saw. They were pulling bodies out of the streets and, the, and I saw the pictures they showed me. It was just horrific. And so they went to their employee assistant program counselors or chaplains. And, and yet the counselors were good people, but they had no understanding as to our world and our culture. So they became frustrated and never went back. And I thought, well, how can I give back to my brothers and sisters? And that is when I went back and became a licensed counselor. I went back for my master's. And in 2009, I founded Counseling Services for Firefighters, which uh, we were training counselors and chaplains. You want to work with us, you need to understand us. We're, we're a little different. Not that it's bad from my point of view, just a tad bit different. When in 2010, I started receiving phone calls and emails from around the world saying, do you do anything about firefighter suicides? 
So wow. I didn't know we had a problem. <clears throat> I contacted the USFA, the NFA, the IFF, the IFC, the NFF, um, NVFC, NFPA. Uh, you, you give it to me. I called. No one kept any data on our brothers and sisters. So that's when FBHA was founded. And we are still to this day the only organization in the United States that tracks all fire, meaning career, volunteer, wildland, military, as well as EMS, and now dispatcher suicides. Wow. And, uh, so what, take this, Jeff. That Katrina was what year? Do you 2005. 2005. And then you've, so that was the catalyst, right? I mean, that was, Correct. That, was the, that was the big push to say, hey, we got to do something here. Absolutely. And uh, uh, when I went into my first workshops ever for FBHA in 2011 for the Philadelphia Fire Department, and I walked in that first class of about 100 Philly firefighters and said, hey, we'll be talking about PTSD and suicide awareness. You thought I had leprosy. It's like, man, yeah. we don't talk. We don't talk about these things. And, yeah. and we didn't. We had a lot of major organizations, fire organizations, actually tell us that, hey, you're making up the numbers. There's no such thing. And, and it's like, wow. And now, you know, they all started contacting me. Hey, uh, how many numbers you have for that state? How many do you have for that? And, and now look where we're at today. And we still have a long ways to go. Well, but, I mean, there, there was, I mean, there had to be, you know, retired, you, you get into this, you see the, you see the, you know, the guys coming back from Katrina, right. As the catalyst of, of this movement. And, and like, I'm looking at this thinking like you are, you are totally stepping outside of anyone's comfort zone when you started this, you know, 15 years ago. Right. And if, if you think about this, it's only 15 years in a, in a long right. game, that's, that's a very short amount of time that this has become a hot topic in the fire service, let alone, you know, first responders. But, you know, I, I have to think those original days for you, they had to be tough. Uh, they were. Uh, and actually the suicide aspect of it started in 2010. And they are difficult because I validate uh, the losses. So when we get confidential reports, and it used to be off our webpage, we have a suicide confidential reporting. People fill out the report and then send in the email. And I had no idea where they came from. The emails were scrubbed. But nowadays, chiefs will call me, people will call me and say, hey, our department just lost someone. And we keep that confidential. We don't give away sure. departments and names. But we have validated 1,585 of these tragic events. And I have personally spoken to about 1,525 chiefs to hear the methods, the reasons, and not only how they died, but how they lived. And we take that message. And we also do a lot for family members. We have an annual weekend retreat for family survivors. So I, I know hundreds and hundreds of family members. And so that's what makes us different from any other organization out there is that our message comes from our brothers and sisters. And I'm just kind of the medium putting it all together and, and bringing it. And traditionally, I average well over 100,000 air miles every year. Uh, didn't didn't get it this year because of COVID, uh, but uh, you know it's just and and just talking to thousands and thousands of our brothers and sisters. Uh, the National Volunteer Fire Council asked us to put together a national directory of counselors who work with first responders. So I've been working on that for the last six months. We're up to close to about 280 counselors I have vetted, and so that that list can be found on our webpage or the NVFCs. And so all these things come together uh, in behavioral health. And like I said, yet we still have so very long, far to go. And I think yeah. one, of the other, uh, one of the other great things that 
um, Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance does, and especially Jeff, your work in this, is getting getting uh, first responders trusted um, mental health care people that they can go to. And I know that you and I have had a couple conversations because I've reached out a couple times to find some information out for people who needed it because they said, Look, where do we go? Like, I, I tried to go to EAP and it didn't work. Like they stared at me or like they stopped me and said like, hey, this is this is too much. And uh, I think that's, a, a, can you kind of touch on that a little bit just in, in off, uh, what resource that is and what, what, what it's, because I think it's another thing that Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance adds value to people. Well, it, it truly is. When we started really traveling and I, and I travel across Canada as well, we started noticing that the employee system program issues were, were big because if I'm out here saying stand up, get the help, who are we sending our people to? And, and they're good people, these counselors. They just haven't been trained. And why would they? Because we never talked about behavioral health in the fire service. So you have these, these people that want to help and yet they haven't been trained. And plus the big issue there, uh, when we interviewed over 800 of our brothers and sisters, and I do a lot of interview surveys, we found out that the number one reason why they weren't going to, especially EAP, was confidentiality issues. They just didn't want people to know or maybe see their truck somewhere at a, at a EAP uh, office. And so finding those resources are critical for departments across the United States. And we, uh, we do a lot of uh, consulting. We've, uh, I actually worked seven months with San Diego Fire Department. I rode about 70% of all their shifts and stations. Just talking to our brothers and sisters about behavioral health, finding the resources. And San Diego's got some great resources within their own organization. So, but every department needs to. And it's just not career, it's volunteers. As, as we all know that about 70% of the fire service is volunteers. And I started there and it's, it's difficult because when you're out on those calls at 3 a.m., fatality calls or things, and you have to be at your job at 6 a.m., there's not a lot of support. And so it becomes very difficult. I would have to say that the one good thing about COVID, and I've only found one so far, is that telehealth has really boomed, meaning that firefighters can sit in their house and talk to counselors across their state and have a session just like we are here in Zoom. And that is incredible. And so that is why having that resource list for any department saying, hey, this is who our EAP is. Remember, we trained them. They came in, they did ride time, they had dinner with us. But here's also our resources outside of EAP. Here's our chaplains. Here's some resources across the state. If you just go to the NVFC, to their direct national directory of counselors. Every department needs to have these resources because you don't know at what time one of your members will walk in and say, I'm struggling, I need help. It, Jeff, I mean, it's been, it's been obviously 10 years and, and there's been so much change in 10 years. Um, and like you say, there's still a long way to go. Um, are you finding more, and I guess this is more on the volunteer side though, that more departments are coming around to this idea of how they have to take care of their people? They are coming around, but it's not as fast as I'd like to see it. They admit, hey, we have to do something. And, and it takes time to put together, you know, one of our workshops that we I developed is called How to Create a Successful Behavioral Health Program. And it takes more than just an employee system program and a peer support or a SISM team. For us, it's 12 different points. And it starts from educational workshops 
all the way up to what are we doing? How are we preparing our retirees, our people to retire? Because we keep data on retirees. As difficult it is to get active, it's more difficult to get retirees. Uh, out of the 1,585, 274 retirees, and out of those 274, 37 took their lives within the first week of retirement. So these issues, they, they need to be addressed. What about those that are fired on duty injury? How about those that resigned? Well, either, hey, either quit or resign. And when we look at those numbers, 11 of those that were resigned out of the uh, 37 uh, out of the resignation aspect of our data, 11 took their lives the day after they resigned. And, and we have to do much better than that. Jeff, what, here, so here's where I come in, right? Like I, I'm me, right? So like, bear with me, but I'm one of those guys that like, I don't, I don't really talk about my feelings. Right. I don't. And I've just been, you know, I've been a fireman for 25 years. Um, I've seen the worst. I've seen the best. Right. And I mean, I just, I struggle with um, learning and, and understanding and coping. Um, I do. I think I'm okay. Right. Like I, like, I just don't talk about it. I move on. Right. Um, life moves on. Like I get over it. I think I get over it. Right. So, I mean, my, I don't know what my question actually is to you, but it's, I think a lot of people have my type of mindset and mentality right. in the fire service. And so that's why, you know, that's why I really wanted to sit back and listen tonight, but I had to ask this. I mean, I, I just, you know, is there, are there, obviously there's signs, but I mean, are there things that we can do for myself? We get back from a, from a gnarly accident and, you know, obviously, you know, we do the critical uh, stress debriefing, right. And right. so on. And that's, that's for the crews that were there, but what can we look for? What, what are, the, how do we take care of us? I mean, how, so, how do we take care of us? So I have two terms for you. One is cultural brainwashing. And the other one is internal size up. So let's look at the first one, cultural brainwashing. Yeah, please. Because, because this is important. Uh, society falls prey to it. So when we have, we have a workshop that trains families, uh, spouses, partners, family members. And then we have one, of course, for counselors and chaplains. And I always start off that workshop with the question of, when you hear the term firefighter, what words come to your mind? And, and I'll ask you three gentlemen, what words come to your mind when you hear firefighter? Brave. Brave. Okay, what else? Hero. Hero. Helper, like, you know, Help. yeah. rendering Helper. aid, you know. Absolutely. Self-sacrificing, courageous, brave. In 10 years in doing these workshops, I've yet to hear anyone say, well, they have anger issues. They have addiction issues. Relationships, oh, it's very, very difficult. So even society is culturally brainwashed. Now you imagine you put this uniform on day in and day out, like I did for 26 years. You start believing some of these things, this cultural brainwashing. And it's not a negative term. It's just that you have expectations. And who expects those things? Your brothers and sisters you work with, the communities you serve, the traditions of the fire service expect you to act this way. And it's very difficult to show any weakness and say that I need some help because we have these expectations that we have to live up to. And so cultural brainwashing plays a major part. Now let's look at internal size up. This is a phrase that I, ter I termed, and if you, have, if you want uh, the, uh, remember the uh, I, 
AFC. They came out with the yellow ribbon report under the helmet doing an internal size up. That yeah. was the title of it. I was on that committee and I, I said, hey, you can use that, that name for that title. And what it means is that we have to ask ourselves on a daily basis, why am I acting this way? Why am I feeling this way? And the best thing that you can do is listen to your loved ones or your close friends because they see us a lot better than we will ever see ourselves. Hey, why did you get so angry over that? Why are you, why aren't you talking? And instead of just say, Hey, I'm good. Uh, you know, I'm this and that, because you're, you're, you're right, Jeremy. Resiliency. It's incredible. It's, it's, yeah. how do you define it? How some person might struggle and some will go through their career with no problem. So I can't sit here and tell you, I will no, tell I, you. I though, get that. No, I get that. But I, what, what, what right. I think is an interesting conversation is, um, more times than not, you hear, you know, the whole, I never saw it. I didn't, I, I can't believe that oh, Jeremy yeah. did that. I can't believe like uh, this guy had everything going for him, you know, a good career, a beautiful family. And this, that story plays over consistently. And absolutely. everybody sits there and goes, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I would say 80% of the validated suicides, I've heard that same thing. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff would have been the last person I guessed. And, and I tell him, you know why? We're damn good actors. Yeah, we can, I, we can bury I believe that, like Jeff. Knowledge. I'm so yep. with you on that. Yep. We can bury things like no others can. We have to because, hey, the tones are about to drop. Uh, I can't, hey, I don't want my brother and sister thinking I'm weak next time I go into a fire. They're thinking, oh, man, Jeff's going to start crying again. And, and this has created, though, an issue. Because when we've had our brothers and sisters stand up and say, hey, I went and got help, then the others are walking on eggshells. Well, do yeah. I say this? Do I say? And then they feel ostracized. And we've had brothers and sisters take their lives because of that. And so all this comes together in this thing we call behavioral health. How do we help not only those struggling, but those that work with those brothers and sisters that went and got help? I think one of the, one of the uh, other things too, Jeff, was that like when we talk about that 80% and we don't, you know, we don't see it coming and, and we're those good actors. Um, I, I remember my parents telling me at one point that um, they said, you know, suicide was a um, permanent fix to a temporary problem. And then they followed that statement up with a, like a negative connotation. And it wasn't until your class where you talked about pain and I never looked at it in that context of it being, of it being pain and that, right. You know, and that like, and like, when, and and I think it was because you're you're doing a class on the seventh on the seventeenth, the saving those who save others, um, and it was in that class where you kind of said like, hey, like you looked at some of these methods that were used, and you said, how much pain do you have to be in to light yourself on fire? Uh, absolutely, and, and and yeah, that that permanent solution to a temporary problem is a theme that most people re relate to in regard to suicide. And, and I used to believe, hey, that, there's some truth to that. Right. But after I read Robin Williams' book about his struggles and his pain, I started mm -hmm. thinking, well, is depression a temporary issue? 
Not really. No. You have to learn to manage that the rest of your life. Same thing with addictions. You might have, uh, you know, kicked whatever habit, but you still have to manage it. How about PTSD? Uh, the images you'll carry in your mind. And, and I know hundreds of our brothers and sisters that are working diagnosed with PTSD, but you still have to manage it. And, and so people always want to tend to believe that, oh man, that, that our brother or sister took their life because of PTSD. When in reality, when we look at our data, unknown is the number one known reported to us when I validate. The number one known reason why firefighters and EMS are killing themselves are marital or family relationship issues by far. And, and that's, that's a problem because we look at our divorce rates in, in our fire service and our EMS service and the lack of communications and the ability to truly for families to truly understand what we go through, the ability for us to talk to our loved ones about the things that we go through. And so I'm going to give you another term that we talk a lot about, and it's cognitive disconnect. And what that means is that we are basing our decisions on our emotions, and reality goes out the window at that time. So let's take an example about anger. We, are, we know anger is big in the fire service. If, if I'm Firefighter Jeff, and I put my uniform on and I go to the store and, and people, oh, thank you for what you do. You're heroic, courageous, brave. Our children want to be like you. You have parades and the engines go down. We're throwing out candy and water pistols and everyone loves us. Then I go home to my wife who doesn't put me on that pedestal. And maybe in the heat of an argument, this cognitive disconnect comes into play where I start thinking, why can't you treat me like John Q. Public? And the anger boils so badly that in our data, we've had 62 of our brothers and sisters kill their loved ones and then themselves, murder, suicide. And so those emotions of anger, depression, uh, jealousy, rejection, especially in relationships. Wait, you want to divorce me? You want to leave me? Everyone loves me. And those things that we need to address big time within our world. How, so I know when, when, when you, when, like our, our local had, um, and, and our department had Jeff come up with the help of the Dutchess County Volunteer Fire, or uh, Volunteer Fire Chiefs and the uh, Association of Fire Districts came up and, and he did a, a couple classes with us. And like, how is it that we start not only like talking about the cultural brainwashing, doing the internal size ups, and then a, a cognitive disconnect, but like, then how do we like start taking that information and bringing it out to our membership so that we're like, as Jeremy said, like we're on, we're on the track to start um, kind of identifying some of this stuff if we can. And if we do identify it, now we can take action and start moving forward. Well, the key, like I said, uh, in creating a behavior health program, number one is educational workshops, bringing people out to let them know that there are problems out there. There are struggles out there. And then also then creating a peer support SISM team. And that aspect, then they become the sort of like the health and safety committee of your department. They are out there to promote behavioral health. They're finding resources. And, and I, I was in the first IFF uh, class for uh, peer support. And uh, I've been through the Illinois firefighter peer support training. Uh, Jack Digliano out in Colorado. So I've had different perspectives of peer support trainings. They're, they're key people of your department. 
And so you start with those, those things uh, as well as training your counselors in that area because you have to have resources. When the San Diego fire chief called me on a Saturday and, and he said, Jeff, we want to bring you out here. I said, two things we need to do, chief. That is strengthen that peer support team and find your resources because Every department should have that. Small volunteer departments, it'll be difficult to do some of these 12 points that we have. But we all should be able to have counselors and chaplains and peer support members there, a SISM team there for our people. Uh, FYI, in the last couple of weeks, we've had two peer support team members that have taken their lives across the United States. And one of the things, we have templates. And if anyone wants templates on how to create a behavioral health uh, program, how to create a peer support team, how to select those members, email me. And we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But what we've put in so many departments across the United States, because we train a lot of peer support teams, is that if you're on a team, either peer support or SISM, mandatory within your guidelines and policies, you will go see a counselor twice a year, mandatory. That's part of the team because that's the problem with people on peer support. They're always giving, giving, they forget about themselves. So not only are they going on those calls and they have issues in their own personal lives, now they're absorbing it from their brothers and sisters and it's overwhelming to them. So they have to take care of themselves. So Rob, that's what I would say is start getting peer support uh, members, start doing more and more educational workshops, job, uh, a little uh, what they call a family day. You bring in speakers, you bring in EAP chaplains, you bring in the family members to meet people, to, to talk about these things. It's, it can be done. I've seen it done. You know, Jeff, one of the things that I picked up on that you said a little while back before Rob's question was, was you said about, about managing all this in your life. And for me, in my career, I've had, you know, I've been on, on National Fire Radio, my own podcast, I've talked about a lot of these things, but we've had members in my department die, I've been on a, a line of duty death fire, I've obviously had bad calls, I've had some uh, drinking issues, let's say, marital issues, all the issues you spoke about, I've had in some way, and I feel like everybody has these, and I feel like for me, what I've learned over these past, let's say 10 years, even since you started this, not even really knowing you then, I met you maybe five years ago with 555, but I feel like daily, I'm managing all those things you talked about. Right. And I have to continue to manage that daily is the easiest way I can say it, I guess. I, I don't really know how else to, to mention it, but can you speak more to that about that self-awareness? You know, because even sometimes I slip, like my wife caught me one day after, a really horrific murder scene call we were at the night before and and she's like are you, we were at a park and there were two people at the park that i just didn't like the way they looked and she, my wife called me out for that she's like are you okay and i'm like nah i'm gonna go punch that guy in the face we should probably <laughs> but you know like that managing like she even helped me manage that you know what i'm saying but but how can you maybe speak more to that how we have to be more self-aware to get this assistance or your, your feeling about that at least well, you actually, uh, you're on the right path because your bride saw something in you. And that is where we have to admit, this is not an easy job. Not a lot of people can handle what we did, what I did, and what you're doing in the fire service and EMS and even dispatchers. It's not an easy job. And understanding that management and self-care, 
So self-care is absolutely vital for every one of us. And self-care means that anywhere between 15 minutes to 30 minutes a day, we need to do something that just gets our mind completely away from the fire service. I don't care if it's playing music. I don't care if it's jogging, praying, painting, journaling, whatever it is. You have that self-care that you look forward to going to that place, like in Happy Gilmore, that happy place where we can get away. But the key to all of that is to listen, and especially listen to our children. Our children, they, they really see things, and, and they observe. They're a lot sharper than when I grew up in the 60s and 70s as a child. You know, we went out and played ball and everything, and everything. but now children are so aware of especially their parents and what's going on in their attitudes. And I've always asked our brothers and sisters, have you had to talk with your children? And what that means is letting them know what your world's about. You don't have to give them all the details because they suffer from stress and anxiety as well. They, they see the calls, they hear them, you can see them on Facebook, live, whatever it is. Or maybe they see mom and dad arguing. Or maybe they see they have to go between mom's house and dad's house because they're separated. We need to include our children in that self-care aspect of it because they're the groundwork for our, our future. And so if we start practicing that self-care, because what that does, it allows us to talk. And we don't talk very well. No. You know, and no. not about our emotions. You know, no, very that, never. Like I like I'm sitting here. I'm like the prime candidate right now. I'm sitting here like I don't take self-care. Like I couldn't tell you the last time I was like, eh, half hour a day for myself. Like never. You know, and like i just I think you're wrong, Jeremy. I think I you're wrong though. I don't know. Listen, you and I so so Jeff, you talk about peer support and uh where where my department is we don't have a peer support team. Um, we do have EAP, we have things through our union, and, and we're definitely being way more proactive than when I got hired uh, in the early right. 2000s. But, you know, Jeremy, you and I joke about this on other podcasts and things, but like, how many times have we argued with each other this year about different things, every right? Day. We're each, yeah, pretty much every day. Mm. That's your time. Even though we're talking about this, we're not always talking about this. And that, to me, is peer support. And I don't know the exact definition for it. Um, Jeff, but what I found again with 555 and with all these folks that I've met at shows and teaching and traveling, they're sort of my peer support team. Yeah, I can I reach out that. to them I, and, and get I totally, it, you know? I totally well, get that. And, and, you know, I, I do. And I just, I don't know, man. I, I like it's, well, I always say surround yourself with like-minded people and good things happen, right? So you surround yourself with good people, good things happen. I'm, I'm a firm believer. I don't really keep any toxicity in my life. And that, right. that is something that I hold close to me. I had a, you know, my wife and I, you know, years and years ago had that conversation where she couldn't understand how I could let things go and let people go like that. And I said, you got to look at the bigger picture. And since then she's done it too, because, you know, toxicity in your life just drags everything down. And I think, you know, Pip, I just want to hop back, man. Self, you mentioned the, the two words, self-awareness. Um, you know, we, we've been sitting here, we're talking about peer support groups and how do we signs and symptoms and how do we help people and how, 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 but it's got to start with the individual. No, I mean, Abs you, absolutely. Accountability for your own actions. Yeah. Jeff, vital. you mentioned, you mentioned we're the best actors. 
I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, every, all four of us sitting here have done it at one time or another. We have guys that we ride next to on the fire apparatus every single day that they're real, you know, their, their life outside the firehouse could be an absolute train wreck and you don't know, you know, you don't know how bad, you know, you, some people show it more than others. And, and I think that's where that whole, I can't believe it was that guy. Well, his life was unraveling for years and years and just, he, he, he just didn't let you in to see it. Well, and when we started in Philadelphia, we had two themes, be direct and challenge with compassion. When you see your brothers or sisters struggling, be direct, challenge with compassion. Uh, and of course, and then we added internal sides up. But this is important because we have to learn, and I, and I tell in our workshops, and you'll hear that if you're on, this, on the 17th, the most important slide I show is we have to learn how to listen. And that's role reversal for us because we go on the calls, uh, ma'am, you're here for a possible overdose. Uh, and, and we ask them every question that we can. And yet when we go home and our spouse or our, our partner says, hey, uh, can we talk about uh, my day? I want to talk about my day. And what, what do we do? We try to solve their issue. They don't want that. They just want you to listen to them. You know, and it's we're helpers. It's yeah, we're helpers. They're calling it. We're helpers. Right. We always have to be helping. But that that doesn't come into play when we talk about ourselves and our relationships because we don't help ourselves. And so by doing that internal size up, remember everyone knows the word resiliency. Re, oh, resilient this and that. To me, resiliency starts with talk, talk, talk. That's where resiliency begins. We're all speechless. Jeff, I have to tell you, Jeff, I have to tell you, it's hard for me to be, um, I, I, I do, I like to talk a lot, you know, but I, I like to think I listen, but I probably talk more than I listen, even though I think I listen more. But I, I just sitting here listening to you, I'm, I'm really just uh, enjoying your tone and your love for what you do, um, because I, I just... I keep coming back to, and I'm, and, and the only reason I keep pushing on this stuff a little bit more is just because like, I don't, I don't understand a lot of it. I don't. And I think either, either do I at times. Right. And I, yeah, but I think I'm like the average guy where I just, mm -hmm. you know, right. we do what we do and, and you, you deal with it, you know, and you find your ways. But I do know now more than ever, as it's become a, 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 it's a talked about issue, right? We, we, you know, we buried it before guys would go home, spousal abuse, divorces, alcoholism, substance abuse, um, you know, all of it, right? It all goes hand in hand. And of course, with your, your agency isn't just suicide, correct? I mean, you're dealing with the substance abuse parts right. too, right? And absolutely depression, PTSD. Absolutely. Absolutely. And none of, none of that was ever talked about. And, and so now that, you know, you guys are really, uh, you know, boots on the ground and, and educating. Um, we can at least have this conversation tonight. But, you know, I'm going to, I sit here and I'm like, how do I take this back to my firehouse? How do I, how do I watch the guys on my engine company tonight, you know, that, uh, you know, to make sure that they're doing okay um, and so on. And I just, I, I think there has to be some type of, and I might be totally off the mark, but there has to be some type of, you know, not self-awareness, but you, self uh responsibility like you know right. I, I i i carry so much responsibility with my kids and my wife and they're my everything and i just i i struggle with understanding how people can mess that up I well, and that, 
And that's why, that's why, Jeremy, I say that internal size up, because you can sit down with your wife tonight and say, hey, you know, they, they came up with this term about internal size up, and I'm supposed to ask myself, you know, why am I acting this way or why am I feeling this way? You know, and, and I'm, I'm feeling a little frustrated now about the job, or I'm a little angry about something uh, in life, and I'd like to talk about it. And that is how it begins. And that, that, that communications is also oh vital. And you can do that with your, your men and women at the firehouse. Say, hey, you know, we had this term internal size up and, you know, learning how to ask. And what you do is, I did that. Just, you know, Jeremy, you would say, I did that last night. And you know what? I found out that uh, it, it's okay to think, man, that was a real bad call. And that bothered me for a couple of days. Any of you ever have those type of situations you know, where you want to say something, but you just don't, and you don't, you can't figure out why, and understanding that term is, is so vital for us to understand our own emotions. Yeah, and I, I also think when you talk about internal size of Jeff, I have a couple guys at work that um, are also, they moonlight as police officers, and they, one of them just became an instructor for this class that they're, like, doing in law enforcement, and it's, Pretty much, um, they, 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 they're calling it like this concept of like every interaction you have on a shift as a law enforcement officer, you're picking up a pebble and putting it in your pack. Right. And depending on how many interactions you have, you can carry a lot of pebbles. And it kind of stems off of the stuff that we've seen over the summer where like sometimes people do some really stupid things. Mm -hmm. And like nobody ever says, oh yeah, that guy was totally going to kill somebody one day. Like, no, like it builds up over time. And I think the internal size up is so important because like I've like every time I work with this guy, I just ask him questions about the course because I, I find that um, how they look at it with bringing a pebble. And sometimes, sometimes it's not a pebble. Sometimes the call is actually a rock or maybe we have that one critical call where it's actually a boulder. And now I have this boulder that I'm trying to walk with and I got to deal with like three other rocks that are just coming in because there's no break from that previous call or that, you know, in a volunteer aspect of it, I could have that boulder and then, you know, it's 5 a.m. I got to be to work in an hour. I got to go home, you know, shower, shave, et cetera. And then I have to deal with the full days of stuff, but I'm still carrying this giant rock with me and I'm trying to manage that whole thing. And I just, I, I, I think the internal size up is so, so important for people to understand. And it, maybe it's sometimes it's just a different, different, um, we have to use a little verbal judo to put it into context for people so they can perceive it and say like, Oh, all right, this is what it is. But. And, and that's why it doesn't have to be a negative term. It could be, Hey, right. I'm excited. I'm excited about my, my daughter getting married, you know, and that stress. Yeah. And so understanding those emotions and, and that challenging with compassion and being direct, we've all been there when we see one of our members, maybe a little angry, a little more isolation or, or whatever. And have you ever heard someone say, geez, Jeff, are you off your meds today? You know, and maybe they are, maybe they're struggling with something. And yet we toss around as a joke to them. That's a life threatening issue. And I can't, and I'm saying that we should get rid of our, our attitudes, our joke, because laughter is, is one heck of a coping skill, but we just need to watch our, what, they might be struggling with, especially 100 guilty. You know, hundred percent guilty. I mean, I am, I am, I'm sitting here tonight, going, "Oh my God, I am like, I am the problem." But so I, 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 I it just, <laughs> but listen, it's, it's I say not. it all the time. I, I just, I say it all the time, and I wonder. You got me doing uh, 
you got me doing an internal size up of myself right now as we're speaking, because, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about this. Like I literally just said that some guy went off his meds this morning at a call and it was one of our guys. And I'm like, right. I'm like, oh, I guess he didn't take his pills this morning. So, right. and, and that's, and then I wonder, I wonder right. like, do people say that about me? Rob? No. Like, <laughs> no, no. No, but I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, you know, you absolutely. And, and here's the thing that I've learned in all these years and listening to all these stories, because I'm surrounded by death on a daily basis. Yeah. Is that I do oh. not judge our brothers and sisters on why they took their lives. And you just we just don't know what happened in that person's life an hour before, 15 right. minutes before, that they act this way. And that's the sad thing, is that we expect our brothers and sisters to act conform to how, the way we act. And when one doesn't, that could be because they're dealing with issues in their lives. And, and Rob mentioned it when, when we talked, to, he mentioned you know, the depth of pain. I mean, when we look at the methods that I've had to validate, what is the depth of pain of one of our brothers who held a stick of dynamite in his mouth? I mean, what's the depth of pain of someone sticking a flare gun down their throat and firing it off? I mean, these things are real out there, and we, we just need to make sure that we take care of each other. We need to take care of ourselves. 100%. And, I, you know, it, it what like I said, I, I appreciate you bringing, uh, being able to, to put that in the perspective for me about talking with the pain, because, you know, like I said, it was always a negative connotation. And like, I think that you just hit on it, like the whole not judging somebody, you know, because quite honestly, we don't know what they're going through. And, I, you know, it's just, it's a, uh, it can get very real, very fast for, for a lot of people. It gets real very quickly. And I will, I will tell you that I've only been to one funeral of a firefighter that took his life. And it is something I will never forget because it was uh, about 500 people in this large church. And out of the side, it was silent, out of the side walks uh, his wife and two of his children and his young daughter crying loudly saying, Daddy, Daddy, it is a moment that you will never forget in your life. And that, I think, kind of fuels my, my passion to do what we do and to, to try to bring that awareness. I've lost 18 brothers and, or 17 brothers and one sister that I've come to know in these past 10 years that fell prey to their, to their um, addictions or whatever, PTSD, whatever they were struggling with. And it, but we've also saved a lot. And you have, to, you have to really lean on the positive within your life. And so when you do that internal size up, just don't look at it as negative. Look at the positives that you provide for yourself and your family as well. Jeff, could you give me an example? Because I like the term that you, know, you have here when you say challenge with compassion, just to kind of like for some of the people that are out there, like what's an example of challenging with compassion? Okay. Uh, perfect example is just I validated just recently uh, within the last couple of hours, a firefighter who took his life, I contacted the chief with whom I know, uh, knew. He had contacted me and told me about this firefighter. And uh, he answered the phone and I said, hello chief, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm okay. And I said, are you really? And I said, you just lost a member of your department. And he says, yeah, you know, you're right. I'm exhausted. It's, it's... So just when something doesn't sound right, 
challenge with compassion. So, you know, someone might be going through a divorce and you know that it's, it's, it's going bad and, it's, and they say, well, yeah, things are going well. Well, please realize that I understand divorces are tough and, and I'm here for you if you want to talk about those type of things. And, and, and just make sure that they know that you're there to walk the walk. And I, and I tell that to my brothers and sisters, learn to do walk the walk with your brothers and sisters. How do you do it? How do you do it? I, I, like, I'm sitting here in amazement tonight speaking with you. I, you are an incredible gentleman, and, and I just, you're very well spoken. You have a, a beautiful tone to your voice, and you Thank are you. passionate about what you're talking about. How the hell do you do this? Uh, a lot of help from the good Lord. <laughs> a lot I'm of help from you, the good Lord. I, like, I, I, I'm ready to tell them everything that's wrong with me. I'm ready to just <laughs> spill it all out here on a podcast. That's, man. that's, that's, that's the counselor. Like, I should tell them this. But, but tell them something right Jeff, let me let me ask, right? Because sure. counselors are people too. Right. So you obviously, and it, not to ask too personal questions, but you obviously have to struggle with some of this and you you have to have an outlet for yourself as well. I mean, so, you know, you're dealing with a lot of heavy stuff on a regular basis. Um, right. It's so important. I mean, I you're speaking from you're speaking from firsthand knowledge and firsthand experience and, and your message is just powerful, absolutely powerful. And I just, I, I'm sitting here in awe of you trying to figure out how you do this, how you give so selflessly for all of us. And well, I, I appreciate that. And, and yeah. it is difficult. It is difficult. Uh, my yeah. self-care, you know, I walk, I play a lot of pickleball. It's funny. The last name's Dill at pickleball, uh, but I, I, I what is, wait, 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 what's pickle? I know what pickleball, what is pickleball? It, it's, it's sort of like tennis, but it's with a wiffle ball and things. It's a, and where, it's, you play on a court? Yeah. On a, we can so go like sidebar here for a little. Let's talk about, I don't think everybody, did you it's know not a New Jersey thing. Is? It's not a New Jersey thing. I, I no, know it's from not. other states. It's not a New Jersey thing at all. So it's, it's like, uh, it's, like, it's, 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 it's just like tennis. It's on a smaller court? Yes, it's on a smaller court and you can play single or double. And so uh, I'm, I'm actually out here in Phoenix right now visiting my daughters and they have two pickleball courts here in this 55 and older community with trailer campers. Uh, and uh, we play at eight in the morning and uh, six o'clock at night. <laughs> Is that right? I've never even, heard, I mean, I've heard of pickleball. It's, 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 it's kind of like racquetball for the older crowd is a polite yeah, way to say it, right? Yeah, well, well, you still get the aggression, but you're, uh, not, you're not in a little court and you're not, you know, running in the walls. And next things. time Jeff Dill's in the area, he's going to come up here and school That's you. Right. I'm going to bring that pickleball. He can school me, but it, it's <laughs> why we don't know about it yet. We're not there. So, okay. So, so you know, with your question though, Jeremy, yeah. I, I, I get a lot of frustration uh, because we don't get a lot of uh, sponsorships. Um, manufacturers, uh, they will tell us, hey, uh, Jeff, we love what you do, but it's suicide. We don't, that's a negative connotation. Uh, so we struggle with that. Uh, we've many times, uh, my wife and I have thought about, we need to close because we have to charge for our work. We have to charge for our workshops because we raise that money for our annual weekend retreat for family survivors. And so that frustration, we, we can't get a FEMA grant and, you know, uh, from the safety and health. And it's just, wow. it, it's amazing. And uh, it becomes very frustrating in that aspect. So that is my biggest challenge. Uh, I don't know if you can hear my labradoodle. She's over No worries, no worries. Okay. And, and that's my, that's our biggest challenge is that, that lack of sponsorship and donations. And so it becomes, very difficult for us to carry on 
our our mission but somehow the good lord gets it done and so we uh, we just continue for as long as we can yeah and, and and so i will once we once we finish here we'll have some conversations of course but i mean i i will certainly uh we will do whatever we can to help for sure but well, I, I appreciate I, it and, and i'm not you know i'm, I'm just no, I, I'm not, no, I'm not here to do with that i this is this has been an incredible education for me because i don't one i don't i don't get i'm learning I'm, i just don't i just it's which is good though that's good 100 percent. i mean you yeah. know and it's uh you know, I, I'm sitting here doing my internal size up right now, and I, I might have to call Pip and Rob later, middle of the night or something. <laughs> you know, but I, but I do think, on a serious note, though, um, you know, what you do is incredibly valuable, and I appreciate you sharing that with us, though, about you know that you struggle as well. Um, and so you also talk about peer support teams, right? So you surround. Are they volunteer? Are these volunteers? How does this? How does that work? How does that network? Yeah. Typically, a department who wants to create a, a peer support team, they can also oh, okay. do it with several departments or a countywide. And okay. so they look for some volunteers within their department and uh, they will start training on how to learn how to listen. And their two main functions are learning how to listen and directing them to the resources. And, and that is it. And it's, but it's difficult work. It's very difficult work. And so, uh, I'm a, like I said, I'm a big proponent because these are our brothers and sisters who are on those calls and they understand it and they've been trained to learn how to listen and watch out over other members of the departments. But like I said, it can be draining at times. So we have to sure. take care of them as well. I yeah. think it, when you said that about um, before and how we lost two fellow members of critical incident stress debriefing teams, like it, it hurts my heart to hear that. Um, I know like I'm, I'm a member of the Hudson Valley Critical Incident Stress Debriefing Team. And like one of the big things that I always, I don't wanna say like the love about it, but like every time after we're done with the debriefing, we go to a diner, we get a table on the back, I order mozzarella sticks and a cheeseburger. And we, we like we, we talk and we say like, hey, are you okay? Like, and we just, we have that debriefing for the debriefers afterwards because and then like i i know from meeting other people and other critical ones and stress briefing teams and hearing that they don't do that i'm like how do you not how do you not like it, it's just so foreign to me but it, it is you know they were never i don't want to say they were never taught but there's you know that that was always a thing that we did and we assumed it was normal because the people before us did that and they passed it down the line and said hey make sure you do this like you know have howard come out with you and, you know go to that diner wherever it might be and get a bite to eat and you know and, it's and I, and I don't think people realize when it comes to behavioral health whether you're on a peer system team or if you're teaching like i do it's exhausting it really is exhausting and so we have to make sure we take care of, of those people and you have and, to do your own self-care that's what that's what you're doing rob is by that that's your self-care after yeah. critical incident stress management absolutely. because you're human but that's what you had said before you know we're all human inside you know those words and those things that build up inside of us but we all have to take care of ourselves and i think that's key with with critical incident stress management and with peer support team members is that just because you got that training doesn't make you invincible or, or any way shape or form like that you still have to take care of yourself on an even higher level probably correct 
Right. Absolutely. And, and I apologize. My wife just got home with our grandkids, so our dogs might bark. <laughs> so. this, 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 is, this is so National Fire Radio is life, right, Jeremy? Like, it is. It is. So look, Rob, Rob just ran away. I don't know if he yeah. hit on a, a hard spot for us. No, I'm kidding. But I, 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 will, I will say, um, you know, I, this drives me back to – I've been sitting here the whole time just thinking and thinking and thinking, and, and I think of the stigma of this, right? Like, I think guys struggle with that too. I kind of just want to bring it back around because sure. I think bringing value for the listener, especially on something like this, is this is a topic that's not talked about. This is a topic that most people shy away from, a conversation nobody wants to have a conversation that nobody's comfortable even doing. And at times we do take care of one another in our way. And, and so, you know, it's just formalizing it and saying that, you know, it's okay, but you know, there's a stigma assigned to this. And, and, you know, I just, to, to bring it back, you know, getting people to talk, getting people to open up, getting people to take a half a second and realize the guy they're sitting next to might need a, might need a hand, might need a conversation or even just a smile. Um, goes a long way, you know, now more than ever, we're also self-absorbed with ourselves. Um, that, you know, I think sometimes it's, uh, we don't pick our head up long enough to look around and see what others need and, uh, and to lend a helping hand. And, uh, and I think that's part of it too. Aren't some of our greatest conversations out on the Bay floor? You know, after dinner or something. Always. And, th and this is where we could start you know, bringing, introducing that. And, and what's been really fantastic over the years, we're starting to see more and more of our brothers and sisters, especially our senior firefighters, who are saying, hey, if I struggled, chances are you might too. And, and that's been key. So your role right now, Jeremy, is that hey, you're, you're going to start talking about behavioral health within your department, and you just will never know who you might help just by talking to them. And, and you're right. And I'm sitting here thinking about it because I, I you know, when I started, the, the, you know, the, the guys rolled up their sleeves and punched each other out in the back parking lot and then went in and crushed a couple beers and they went home, right? And now that mentality is, is not the norm anymore. And um, I think my generation uh, is the bridge to this newer, younger generation that um, is more emotional, in touch with their, their own self-awareness, uh, in touch with their own self-needs, um, and, and so on. So I think um, for a senior guy to be able to lend uh, that smile or a helping hand or just a friendly conversation or, or just a question of, you know, how you doing, bud, you know, like that, that to me, I mean, I, that puts me in a, in a, in a position now where I really have to think about, you know, offering that and, and maybe not, um, running out of the conversation quickly. Cause I got 10 other things I got to do, you know, um, those are, those are those things that we really got to start thinking about. Well, I think one thing that, is really advantageous and this this works and i've seen it work is that if you approach someone and say hey how's it going and they say well you know i'm not really ready to talk and say hey that's fine i just want you to know that i'm here and i also want to know that if i ever have someone that i need to talk to can i come to you and that and that lessens the the, the pain of hey maybe if he wants to talk to me maybe it's all right if i talk to him now, they, it might be a week, it might be a month, but if you just lay that out there saying, hey, would you ever be there for me when I'm struggling with something? And, and you start building that rapport on a very small scale. 
awesome. Back pocket skill. And I think that's one of the things that I like that we always have our, our pockets always, like I always carry a screw, you know, a, a four in one screwdriver, a couple of chocks, an extra set of gloves or a hood. Like these are all back pocket skills that I think are very important for all of us to, to have and, and, and be able to have that communication with people just to let them know that, hey, we're, we're here, you know. You know, and, and when you talk about communication and, you know, the bay floor and, and after the meal, you know, something you said in the beginning that caught my ear and then we just kind of moved on from it, though, is that you guys now um, are working with EMS and dispatchers. And I've done both of those jobs. Uh, I started as, a, as an EMT then I was a dispatcher. I was a paramedic, you know, and, and that is sort of more dispatch than, than EMS, too, like almost the forgotten person within the call. Right. And can you just kind of speak to that? Because, you know, in dispatch and in on, on the bus, listen, you work a pediatric cardiac arrest. You go to the hospital and you arrive and you are available. There is no bay floor, go back, take a shower, decompress. You're back in the hopper yeah. no matter where you're working pretty much. So can you just kind of speak to those levels of what you guys are doing? Absolutely. And understand, uh, for us, EMS are uh, the private ambulance service that is out there. And now this is just my theory because I look at the data and things. It's just my theory, but I believe it's, you know, we estimate about a 65% reporting and where we miss out a lot are on volunteer firefighters and EMS. And I think, like I said, this is my theory. I, I, I think that because a lot of them are for-profit organizations, I don't believe they really want to let out that people, members of, the, of their organization are taking their lives. And that doesn't look good for them as, as a profit. And it's not, it's not nothing to do that they don't care for their people. I, I know that they do. It's just that it's, it can be very difficult for organizations to admit that they've lost someone. And for dispatchers, can you imagine? Uh, I mean, we have some great dispatcher friends. In fact, you know, one's a, one of a family member, a survivor, and she's a dispatcher when they are done with those calls because we arrive on the scene their thought process is just how did it end yeah. how good how good yeah. is our mind at finishing things i mean have you ever i don't know if any of you have any children that drive but can you remember the day that you threw them the keys when they're 16 and say hey have the car back by 10 o'clock and then it was 10 15 and you looked was your first thought Oh, my little Johnny's a good Samaritan, probably changing the flat tire of some old lady. You know, no, you're thinking these negative things. They're in a vehicle accident. There's something going on. And so for these dispatchers, they hear the worst of these calls and then it stops. And so yeah. their mind just plays out over and over again all night long. So we have to make sure that we include dispatchers after those calls to say, hey, this is how it ended so that they can have closure as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a huge thing. You know, I was fortunate when I dispatched, I worked for the same organization I dispatched. So we were, you know, getting those closures. But I, I don't think, I mean, and we're going to go back now 20 years. So things were a lot different then. But we were ever offered anything is an easy way to put it. You know, that like, it was just, hey, you go pick up another phone. The phone's ringing again. Don't worry about it. You know, whatever it was, whether it was a, a, a line of duty desk, we dealt with a few of those, anything was, was never really considered for us. So knowing that you guys are a resource for them and, and that I know they're organizing better now, I guess is a good yes, way to put are. it, that I think that that's all helping in this, things like this, like the conversation we're having tonight, 
you know, that's changed. 10 years ago when you started this, well, there weren't podcasts, or maybe there were. I don't know. Joe Rogan might have been. I, I don't recall them, but you know, <laughs> but, a funny, you know, funny story. A funny story. Uh, I was teaching a few years ago at one of a fire department, and a, a young female firefighter uh, came up to me. She says, "I've been following FBHA for many years." She says, "And I consider you the grandfather of the behavior health movement and suicide in the fire service." And I turned to her and I said, "Well." Why can't I be the father? Why do I have to be the grandfather? <laughs> and she turned all red and everything. <laughs> and, you know, and I said, oh, I'm going to tease it with you. <laughs> well, Jeff, I have to say thank you for that because my I have notes written here, heavy. We got to lighten up this conversation. And Absolutely. This is, this is a tough, tough conversation. It is. It yeah. is. And uh, even for survivors, they feel bad when they laugh because they think they're doing a dishonest to their loved one who's dead. And so it, it is very difficult on, on how you move forward. But the good news is there's hope. And the, the hope comes from gentlemen like yourself who are willing to take this topic and go national. It's hope from the departments who are uh, bringing in educational workshops to teach their people. There's hope for the family members. And it's, it's, it's going to get better. Unfortunately, we will probably always lose people because we're humans until yeah. they figure out how to do, have machines do our job. Uh, but the, the good news is there's, there's hope and we're moving forward. And Jeff, I don't know if you've talked about it. We've hit a lot of topics and I just real, because one other thing I think that I want to hit on, okay. you do a class for family members. Correct. And I think one of the great things about the class, and I don't know what you like, and I, and I never really pressed anybody, but I know the people that, you know, when, when, when we had you here, like they all had positive feedback. Can you touch a little bit about, cause like that class, they will not say anything about that class at all. Other than that, that class is very good, very helpful for them. And that they can say in their relationships, it has, you know, like moved mountains as far as its impact. But talk a little bit about that class because we, we're, we've been talking about saving ourselves and our, our fellow brothers and sisters, but hit, hit on this because I think it's a really good, good thing. Well, we developed workshops based on our data. And like I said, we found that more relationships were the, the number one known reason. And so we looked at it that we have to make sure the spouses and partners and parents, they have to understand our world but not only how it affects us, but how it affects them at home to give them some insight on what to look for. And it's one of my favorite classes. You talk about lighter and one, I got an email from one spouse a few weeks after I did a workshop. She said, it's sort of like Jeff unplugged, you know, because it's just, we, we go in there and we, we laugh at what we do and the way that we act. And, and so that type of information allows them because they're not they're not there during the fire academies they get to go for the the celebration of graduation but they're never really talked to and told to you know what their loved ones might go through and those type of things and you can understand this because when i went through my academy way back when how do you think it would have been back then if the instructor walked in the first day and said uh, today we're going to be talking about stress and anxiety, and then we'll talk about depression and the highs and lows you'll go through. And then we will talk about addictions, how many of us turn to them to get through the highs and lows. 
we'll talk about PTSD and the images you carry in your mind for the rest of your lives. How about sleep deprivation and, and all these issues? If that instructor would have come in at that time, they would have fired them. And so we have this belief that that's the traditions. Well, the families don't know these things. And so we bring this information about PTSD. We go through the criterias of if you were to go to a counselor, what are those criterias they look like and how it applies to fire and EMS as well as the family members. So it is one of my favorite workshops because they're inquisitive, they want to know, and uh, they ask a lot of questions. And so we have a good time with it. We have some good uh, funny videos in there. And, but when they leave, they now have a better understanding of how they can help their loved ones as well as help themselves. And, and Jeff, too, like it's important to know that like, so if my wife and I, you know, if you came into town and this class happened again, I can't go in that classroom with my, into that workshop with my wife. Right. And that's a great point, Rob, because uh, when we first developed it, we had firefighters with their spouses or partners. We found out very quickly the spouses and partners don't talk. <laughs> so, because, yeah. you know, they go home and say, hey, is that how you think I, you know, and so we didn't oh, want no, that. No. So no. now it's, it's, only, it's only family members, no firefighters are allowed. How important is it for firefighters, EMS providers, dispatchers, and so on, to talk to, say they, they recognize that they need help, they need to reach out and talk with someone. How important is it to talk with someone that understands the profession versus a standard therapist or somebody that you just look up in the yellow pages or your insurance company says you can go to? It's, it's extremely important, yeah. and, and I'm a firm believer in that. That's why we train counselors and chaplains. That's why I'm doing that NVFC directly. How do, how do people find that avenue? Well, it's, there's a lot of different ways. We have 12 questions that when a firefighter calls me, and I usually get 9 to 12 calls a week from firefighters or EMS saying, Jeff, do you have a counselor in our area? I have 12 questions. I kind of, I call up three or four counselors in that area and I interview them and I ask those questions. I weave You them do that? The, I do that. I do that for free nope, for our it. brothers and sisters. And so, you know, we have those 12 questions and we give them out to departments. Say, if you want to go find counselors in your area, hey, feel free to, these are the questions go in there and, and ask them, say, hey, yeah. would you be willing to be trained? Would you be willing to come and do some ride time with our department? Uh, will you do a, a two minute video bio that we can put on our webpage? Hi, my name is Jeff Dill. I work with first responders, especially in the area of depression and PTSD. Sadie, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> so, no worries, no worries. Know, and, and so these <laughs> issues, uh, we can do that today. Departments can do that tomorrow. Start have a committee going into your um, in your community and interview counselors. Hey, would you like to be on a list of resources? Would you like to do some training to understand our world? So yeah, I just know how unique how unique we are in this industry mm -hmm. is, and I just know that uh, you know we, you know, like I always say, farmer can see through bullshit in two seconds, right? Like oh, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And so you know, to find somebody that you know, if Jeremy if I come to realize through my internal size up in the next 24 hours that, you know, I need to talk with somebody, I'm making light of it, but I will say this, right? If I do, you want to make sure that who you find can help you. 
Absolutely. And we, and we will find, we will find you a counselor uh, within your area or within your state. So and Jeff, I, if somebody's struggling, they can reach out to you. Absolutely. And uh, we, this is what we do. Okay. And Jeff too, I think the, the key too that I'm picking up from you, but just correct me if I'm wrong, this isn't just, I had a bad call or PTSD. This is every gambit. Cause when, I think when we think, uh, behavioral health in the fire service. That's what we think initially. And, you know, you've spoken a lot to this tonight, but I just want to clarify to everybody, this is if you're having trouble in your marriage, substance abuse, yep. the gambit fin of this. Kids, fin financial, financial. Right. When, whatever those are, we will find you. <clears throat> I've, uh, I've helped firefighters find lawyers that work for firefighters. So, you know, th this is what we do for our brothers and sisters. Wow. Yeah, I think that's, to me, and again, now, now with, with, with 555 Fitness and kind of seeing, like you mentioned, sleep deprivation, I never thought I was sleep deprived until I started learning about it. And was like, oh, wait a minute. That's why I'm so angry at three o'clock the day after my shift. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, but, but when you put this whole encompassing um, end of it into it, you know, th these aren't just problems you get from the job. These are problems that, uh, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use, maybe the job amplifies, maybe the problem exacerbates or compounds it. Exacerbates, yeah. It does. It does. And that's where that cultural brainwashing comes into play, is that we think that we have to handle these issues on our own. And that's virtually impossible when you're challenged either personally or professionally. Yeah, and there, there's no weakness in it at all, you know, because we no. talked about that with the cultural brainwashing, you know, that, that, right. that strength and that, you know, your, your concept. But I think that's the big thing. And I, I think from my opinion, I'm seeing a change, but you're the expert in the, you're the grandfather of the uh, field as you admitted yeah, to before. But I'll take the grandfather. I'm not the expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll go with the grandfather. I like that one better too, though. But you, um, are you seeing this, you know, you're paying attention to the numbers and the trends. Are we, are we going in the right direction? I know 2020 has been a, it's been a year, but yeah, we, we, we know that in the past six years, we've lost more firefighters to suicide than line of duty deaths. Uh, the numbers are down a little this year. We're at 84 firefighters and 25 EMS. Last year, we were at 120 firefighters and 20 EMS. Now I understand some of those 120 were those that had retired. Um, but um, I, I think overall, it's getting better across the US because we're seeing so many people talk. We're seeing so many people develop programs to help our brothers and sisters. And like I said, that's where that hope comes from. Yeah, I know, I know I, from what I'm seeing, I'm seeing the same thing you are. You know, we're seeing people talk about this. You know, we're having a discussion about it. Jeremy is gonna be on the phone with me or Rob when this podcast ends, if we don't just stay on Zoom and, and listen to you and all have our own personal session here. But I think these things that, that are changing, that, that's all for the positive. You know, it, it, it's leave it better than you found it. And I mean, you're clearly doing that better than almost anyone yeah. out there, so. I'm, I'm unbelievable, Jeff, really. All about the brotherhood. And that's what you guys at Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance are, are, I mean, you are not just sticking in one lane. Like you said, you, you, you know, there's somebody who needs an attorney. They got, you know, they, you're going to help them find that resource. And I, there's a lot of um, just good mojo that comes with that. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a good thing. So. Well, I we need to educate, it. Jeff. We need to get you out. We need to get you in front of people. We need to get your message out there and your message to be heard. Um, 
December yeah. 17th. Go, I have the Zoom. It's pulled up now. I could sign yep, up right now. I just don't know if yeah, I'm going to do the late night or the afternoon one yet. I'm trying to figure that one out. But it's, it's right December, on the web. It's December 17th, Saving Those Who Save Others. Where, where do our viewers go to sign up for this? They would go to www.ff, like firefighter, B as in Bravo, HA.org. So FFBHA.org. And under the workshop tab, uh, there will be registration. You can do the one o'clock Central Standard Time or the 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And um, it's a two hour workshop. I guarantee you, uh, you will learn something. And uh, like I said, it could, because the message is from our brothers and sisters. I mean, I'll be in one of them. I don't know which one, but I'll yeah. be in yeah. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Jeff, I have to say, man, thank you. Um, what you're doing is by far just the most important thing that I, we've discussed on this channel. I mean, you've done just incredible work. And, um, you know, if we can help you and support you in any way, we certainly will. I mean, I, I, the message tonight was uh, super heavy. Um, it's not an easy conversation. Um, and, you know, I, but it's just necessary and has to be had. Um, you know, we always talk about training. We talk about educating ourselves as uh, to be better firefighters. Right. Um, too often, we're not educating ourselves on being better people and taking care of ourselves. Um, and so for that, I thank you. Um, you just, well, your, your message it. is unbelievable. And um, thank you for being here tonight with us. Um, and, it's, you know. It's been I, my pleasure. It's yeah. been my pleasure to be a, a guest on your show. So thank you so very much. Yeah, and you're welcome back anytime. This this platform's open to you. And anytime you have uh, something you want to say or a message to share with our brothers and sisters, by all means, please let us know. Um, we'd love to have you back anytime. And uh, this was just, uh, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do when we get off this call. <laughs> Man, this was I, this was, it truly was just totally different, a different tempo, a different feel, a different uh, interview than we've, than we're accustomed to. But I value every experience we have here. And tonight is, is uh, no doubt uh, one that's definitely going to be staying with me for a long time. So thank you, Jeff. Appreciate I appreciate it. it. Uh, everyone have a great night and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Great. Thank you, Rob. You're going to take Thanks, us out or what? Yes, uh, everybody, this is Raw from National Fire Radio with Jeremy. Hip from the size up with Jeff Dill from Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance. Please thank you for tuning in tonight and listening to this one. We hope to see you all in class uh, or the workshop on the 17th and uh, of December, and we'll see you there. Have but a good thanks one. so much for joining, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>